0: A beer in a bar will be anywhere from a dollar to 2 depending on what you're getting and where
1: it is. So yeah, it's pretty nice. If you're self-employed, if you're a gig worker or solopreneur, you've come to the right place to learn how to retire wealthier, retire sooner, and retire happier. This is the Rogue Retirement Lounge. I'd like to introduce Tim Leffel, an award-winning travel writer and author of The World's Cheapest Destinations. Travel Writing 2.0, and the Living Abroad book, A Better Life for Half the Price. He's also the editor of the narrative web publication Perceptive Travel, which was named Best Online Travel Magazine by NATJA, and Best Travel Blog by SATW. So first of all, uh, Tim, uh, what is NATJA just for the listeners and SATW?
0: Yeah, inside baseball kind of stuff. Uh Um, Thanks for having me on. But that's the uh, North American Travel Journalists Association. And then the other one is the Society of American Travel Writers. So each year they do awards. And uh, yeah, I've won quite a few with that Perceptive Travel publication. It's um, narrative stories from book authors, which is kind of a unique hook.
1: Cool. Well, I am right now, and the way that I found you is I'm reading your book, A Better Life for Half the Price, and I'm getting a lot out of it. And um, according to the book, you live in Guanajuato. So what made you choose Guanajuato, Mexico, and how long have you lived there? So I've lived here off and on since
0: 2010. We went back and forth to the U.S., You know, between the two places. Um, We lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and then we moved here and eventually went back to Tampa Florida a couple of times but um, that was just because I had a daughter in school and that always complicates things and we did a few few years of schooling here for her and um, you know and some in the US but uh, to answer your question i traveled a lot in Mexico and I actually used to have a little beach house in the Yucatan area near uh, Merida but um, we were looking for a place to move abroad and we're looking for kind of that Goldilocks place that we you know wanted to find with a nice climate and not too big of a city but plenty to do and lots of culture and this one just kind of ticked off the boxes and honestly the first time I came here it was on a travel writing assignment and I was in Mexico City San Miguel de Inde and here and uh, it was one of those things where I just I emailed my wife and said okay I found the place (laughs) she said what are you talking about you just got there I said I know but I found the place and uh, we came and did a trial run for a month with my daughter and uh, my wife liked it a lot too so the next year we ended up moving here for the first time and uh, rented for a year went back to the U.S. for a while and then eventually bought a place that we're in now
1: Excellent. Okay, so w- what were the first things that struck you when you first got to Guanajuato and you said, hey, this is the place? What, what was it that uh, that struck you?
0: Well, it's mostly a pedestrian city, which I really like a lot. There's only two streets that go through the historic center that have cars on them. The rest of the traffic goes through tunnels, through the mountains, or actually in one case, underneath the city. So um, you're not having to dodge cars when you walk around here. And, and the flip side of that is you don't need a car either if you don't want... Uh, You can get everything done on foot or when we occasionally take a taxi, it'll be $3 to go across town. So it's not much of an outlay there. My daughter actually used to take a taxi to school and then take the bus home, but it wasn't much of a financial burden to do that. So it worked out well. And occasionally we'll rent a car to go on a road trip. We're actually going to do that next month to go to the beach out near uh, Nayarit and Puerto Vallarta. But the rest of the time we just uh, walk everywhere, which is good for your body, of course, to keep uh, some exercise going, Right, forced exercise.
1: So where else besides Guanajuato or Mexico have you lived? I, I take it you've lived in other places uh, in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah, when I was younger, we went backpacking around the world for a few years and we taught English in um, Istanbul, Turkey, and oh. in Seoul, Korea, the Seoul when we were there for a year, actually. Um, Turkey was less, but it's a good way to make money if you're looking for a physical job and you want to live abroad and we actually put away a good bit of cash because they they cover your apartment and so that gets rid of a lot of uh, your expense right there but um we really like that experience of living somewhere rather than just uh being a tourist or a traveler and we wanted to sort of get back to that experience later but uh you know it took a while when we had a child that kind of puts a crimp in things, and I had a corporate job for a while, but eventually, uh, when my daughter was 10 is when we moved down to Guanajuato the first time, and um, yeah, also back to your point about what's good about this place, it's a university town, and so that means there's ah. a, lot, a lot of liveliness, you know, there's a lot of culture, and there's a symphony here, lots of live music, and there's a three-week uh, music festival every year called the Cervantino Festival. And so uh, it was canceled last year, but it may be back this year. I don't know. But uh, anyway, those kinds of things kind of keep it young as well. And um, so it's, a, yeah, a nice place to live in all those respects and nice climate because it's at 6,500 feet.
1: Excellent. Uh, expats, are you, are you one of the few, or are there, is there a big expat community there in Guanajuato?
0: For me, it's kind of the right size. There's a few hundred of them here, and it swells a little bit in the winter and then goes back down in the summer. Uh, But just to give you a comparison, there's probably about 10,000 in San Miguel de Allende. There's probably close to that many on the West Coast and and in the Cancun, Playa del Carmen area. So, you know, it's very different here. We're definitely in the minority, and um, I kind of like that. I wanted to learn Spanish and use it. I didn't want to be in a place where I could get by in English all the time. Uh, so yeah, I like the, I like the ratio here. There's people we can hang out with and speak English when we want, but, uh, we're not just in that bubble that sort of feels like we never left home.
1: Interesting. Well, now my, my listeners are, uh, planning retirement. So most of them are older and don't have kids. But I, when you said that you moved a 10 year old girl to Mexico, what was school like for her and what kind of culture shock did she go through as a, as a kid?
0: Yeah, she wasn't real thrilled with that news when we, <laughs> <laughs> when we got it to her, because she had been she'd grown up in Nashville and spent her whole life there, so it was pretty right. wrenching. But thankfully, uh, kids adapt pretty quickly, and uh, she learned the language quickly. And uh, she went to a Waldorf school for elementary school, which is a sort of a chain of schools that's all around the world, mm-hmm. and um, it's very hands-on, touchy-feely, and you know, not real. Uh, academically rigorous so it was perfect for her for elementary school and um, you know they were very patient and she got better and better it, it doesn't take long when you're sort of thrown into that environment to, to get better at the language and so her she's far more fluent than we are because she ended up going to school here for three years so she did that elementary school for a year and then later she did two years of middle school in a, a private Mexican school um, but it was still all in Spanish and so She got quite good. And um, we went back to the U.S. for uh, high school, though, because it just seemed like it was getting more and more difficult um, to try to keep up with home standards and all of that. And uh, it just seemed like it would be easier for her to graduate with a U.S. diploma. But then um, two years ago, my wife and I came back here. We're empty nesters now, so we're um, not planning on uh, going anywhere, although... You know, I'd like to do two months here, three months there in other countries and, um, you know, get a taste of other places. But we'll always have this base here, which is nice.
1: And you said that you own your place uh, outright, correct?
0: Yeah, which is pretty common because it's kind of hard to get a favorable mortgage in, in a lot of these countries, including Mexico. Even if you go to a place like Portugal, you won't find very good mortgage options. The interest rate can literally be double what you would pay in the U.S., so it just doesn't make a lot of sense financially. Um, But also, it's not that's not a big burden for a lot of people because they've sold a house in the U.S. or Canada, and so they've got the equity, they've got the cash anyway on hand. Or when people don't do that, when they want to buy a second home, a vacation home, a lot of times what they'll do is just take out a second mortgage on their U.S. or Canadian property and be, uh-huh. still be paying that really low interest rate. And then they'll just take the cash and buy something in another country. And um, that, you know, depending on what housing prices are like, which they're nuts right now, <laughs> that's not necessarily hard, you know, to pull right. out 150 grand and go buy a house in Mexico. It's a, a very small part of the equity of people have seen a lot of
1: appreciation. Right. So with 150 grand can you buy a pretty nice house there in uh, where you are? Yeah, easily. And um even in really desirable
0: places like you know, Puerto Vallarta or San Miguel or somewhere like that, you can usually find a condo for that price quite easily. Um the where it gets difficult is Los Cabos because um that oh. is definitely a playground for the rich. So you basically right. if you want a place on the ocean there you're looking at a million bucks. But in the rest of Mexico, a million dollars will get you the best mansion in town, you know, high on the hill somewhere. Uh so yeah, for um $100, 150 hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars you can find something quite nice. And just to give you an idea of what we paid, this was I guess seven, eight years ago, we paid eighty five thousand dollars and we have a four bedroom, oh, wow. two bath house And I don't think it would be all that much more. Like if you have feet on the ground and you can look around, there's always deals out there. But you have to spend a little time physically finding a a good deal because what's online in English is, you know, expats selling to expats. (laughs) Right. If you want to find the places that Mexicans have for sale, um, they're they're not putting them up on the Internet a lot of times. You have to just ask around and find a local agent, look at signs, all that kind of thing.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, cost of living stuff for someone who would be thinking about retiring in the part of Mexico where you're at, what do you pay for things like, uh, you know, meals and transportation and the like?
0: Yeah. I called the book A Better Life for half the price because it literally will drop in half most of those expenses and sometimes by three quarters. And there are cheaper places than Mexico. I just want to point that out. I mean, if you go to Nicaragua or Cambodia or lots of other places, it's going to be even less. Um, Ecuador is probably less. Um, but you know, Mexico is easy and cheap and, um, it's close. (laughs) That's the big advantage. It's easy easy to fly here for a reasonable price and get here in a couple hours. Uh, but just to give you an idea, um, My housekeeper just left. I pay her $17, and we're paying above the market rate. And she comes, and she's here for a few hours and cleans the house top to bottom. So we have her come every week. Um, My water bill averages maybe $10 or $15. The electric bill is about $15 or $20. And keep in mind, though, we're in a really nice spring-like climate, so we we don't need air conditioning, and we rarely need heat you know in this in the winter there's a month or two where we have to pull out the space heaters and that's about it so um, our utilities are minimal I pay $50 for this good internet connection and that is a bundle that also includes cable TV and uh, a landline (laughs) so yeah, it's it's easier just to buy the bundle Um, and that's 30 gigabits 30 megabytes per second um, pretty good connection And, um, once again, there are better places than Mexico if you need super fast internet, but even here, if you're in an urban area, you can, you can get much faster speed than that if you're willing to pay for it. But, uh, for us, it's kind of good enough for what we need. Um, but if you're doing a lot of online video and things like that, you can upgrade and spend 20 bucks more and get a faster connection. So those are just some general things. I mentioned the taxi. Um, if we go out to eat, it's. A normal place is five to ten dollars. You know, if you go to like a meal of the day place, it'll be three or four bucks, and that's for a couple courses. Uh, A beer in a bar will be anyway anywhere from a dollar to two fifty, depending on
1: what you're getting and where it is. So, yeah, it's pretty nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful thing. I mean, for for people who are looking at you know needing say sixty or seventy grand a year to retire comfortably in their town in here in the States, to hear prices like that, that's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, you could, I mean, potentially for two grand a month or 2,500 a month, you could live pretty well in the part of Mexico where you are, right?
0: Yeah, I would say for two grand, for a
1: couple, you can live
0: very comfortably here. Um, what I always tell people is what I spent on rent in Tampa, Florida was 2,100 a month. And we don't spend that on everything here. Like even in the good times, pre-pandemic, when we were going out a lot and everything was open, we, n- we never spent that much, even when my daughter was here, for three of us. Um, now, granted, we own our house, so that makes a difference. Sure. But even when we were paying rent, we were paying 800 a month for a t- four-bedroom, two-bath place because we worked from home. We needed some office space. Um, and that included utilities. And so most of the people wow. I know here who are a single or a couple are paying somewhere between 400 and 750 a month something like that for a rental place and that's you know a two-bedroom relatively nice place in a good location i mean you could spend 1200 or more uh, a month
1: if you want but it's going to be fabulous (laughs) i mean it's going to be really nice (laughs) wow okay well so do do you know people who who buy places down there and then only live part time and then airbnb it for the rest of the time is that a, a, a model that works down there
0: yeah it works quite well although there's a caveat there if if, if you get hit with a pandemic then that can uh, uh, put a crimp in those sure. plans but um Having said that, I mean, there's probably way too many Airbnb places here right now because a lot of people did that. And then when times were good, they had no problem renting them out. And I would say that market has bounced back almost completely in the beach areas. Um, So, you know, as people get vaccinated and they're ready to travel, they're definitely heading to these Mexican beaches. And um, so those places are all getting rented out again. Here in the interior, it's taken a bit longer just because those spots were never as popular as the beach areas and probably never will be just because I think people tend to come to the interior of Mexico on their second or third or fourth trip. They don't come here on the first one. Even, you know, Oaxaca, Puebla, Mexico City, those places don't get near the numbers that um, the beach resort places do. Interesting. But to sort of answer your question, though, um, I, I do have a couple friends here who have bought You know, ratty cheapo places and fix them up. You know, and turn them into nice rentals. And if you're if you're willing to play that game, you know, the house hunters, uh, the HGTV game where people buy and flip places, there are always lots of opportunities around. But you've got to have some good uh,
1: worker connections, of course, some good construction guys. Okay, yeah, because I've heard, uh, or actually. There's a there was a book called On Mexican Time that I read maybe 15 years ago that was a story of a couple who were expats and they described kind of the nightmare of working with uh, construction crews down there. Um, yeah, Tony Cohen, the, he lives here actually. <laughs> oh, you know the guy? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he lived
0: in San Miguel de Allende and he's lived here and uh, so yeah, um, it, it's tough. Like uh, we have a handyman who's very reasonably priced and he does good work, but, um, it took a few before we got to this guy and, you know, found somebody really reliable. And so, you know, there's always a network you got to ask around and use the face, Facebook message boards and all of that stuff. Right.
1: Interesting. Well, they yeah, do that's... good work. I mean,
0: <laughs> I, I want to point out that Mexican workers are, are conscientious and hardworking and they're usually really good craftsmen. Um, the, the, the thing Americans especially have to get used to is like things don't move like this, you know, I right. mean the guy's going to show up when he's going to show up, no matter what he tells you. And so sure. you just got to have to get used to that sense of time. I mean, that was a good title for the book on Mexican time. And that's right. that's true throughout Latin America. I think it's just a different sense of urgency.
1: Yeah. That was actually my big takeaway from the book is not that there was an issue with the craftsmanship or, or the, the quality of the work. It was just, the pace and just the the kind of the attitude was just kind of it'll get done whereas we americans that are type a it's like it's got to be done now it's got to be done now (laughs) um so it was a little bit of a sounded like a little bit of a culture shock for him
0: yeah and i think just that whole idea of being a workaholic does not exist here family comes first and fun comes first you know and the work is
1: going to get done but it's not at the top of the priority list sometimes Right. Well, and that's why it's such a great place to retire. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. So what about healthcare? Uh, what's your experience been? That's like it or not, Americans, a lot of us Americans, we think that we're, or we're told that we have the best healthcare system on planet earth and everywhere else sucks. Or, you know, you have to wait or there, you hear all these nightmares, Um, that are in general, at least what I've heard inaccurate, but you've been there in the trenches, you have a family, uh, what's the healthcare system like down there, especially in the town where you're at?
0: Well, I think you summed up the uh, <laughs> summed up the atmosphere there well as far as like the messaging that's coming across. Um, yeah, the medical establishment and the insurance industry would love you to believe that Mexico, that USA has the best healthcare in the world, but right. it really just has the most expensive. I mean, it's. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you can go to you can go to hospitals in Bangkok or Panama City that are way nicer than any hospital you've been to in the U.S. and you'll get better care and and it'll cost you a third of the price. And so. Um, this idea that that the U.S. is the best is only true if you have some really rare condition or strange condition and, you know, you're going to have to have some surgery from the best surgeon in the world working on that condition. You know, there are cases where the U.S. is best in those sort of things. Um, We've got, you know, really good research um, universities and and hospitals that are connected to those. But having said that, I mean, you can get really good care in any big city in the world um, as long as you're willing to... um, you know, put the time in and figure out where's the best one and who's the best doctor and that kind of thing. A lot of times they will speak English too, because they've studied in England or the U S or Canada. Uh, my dentist studied in Houston, I think. And so it's pretty common that they do that and then come back to Mexico just because they want to live in Mexico. They could make more in the U S, but they like the quality of life here and they want to be near family that right. kind of thing. But um, just as far as like logistically how it works, most people pay out of pocket here for almost everything. And then they have some kind of catastrophic insurance, maybe that covers them if um, you know they get laid up in the hospital for two weeks, like a high deductible plan, just like you would have in the US. Um, that's what we've got right now. And there's two reasons for that. One is, yeah, if you get hit by a bus or something. But the other is... Um, if you go back to the U.S. for more than two weeks, you have to have some kind of policy that will cover you there because you can't get travel insurance usually that will cover you for more than two weeks. And okay. you know you know what prices are like in the U.S. You don't want to be caught without insurance. Oh, yeah, no <laughs> you know? kidding. So, uh, yeah, we, we pay more than I would like to be covered um, when we return to the U.S. because we are going back to see family sometimes for more than a couple of weeks.
1: Okay, so so are you saying that you've got a uh, like a... Catastrophic policy in Mexico and their system, and then you also have a U.S. policy?
0: Well, it's an expat policy, so it covers the whole world, basically. Um, And and that's a pretty common plan that's out there um, through loads of different insurance companies. So it covers you in your home country. It covers you um in the rest of the world also and if you get it without the u.s it, it'll be maybe two thousand dollars a year if you get it with the u.s it'll be four thousand dollars a year okay. like it, it makes a huge difference if the u.s is in the mix but um yeah that's the way it works and i mean if you're young you don't have to worry too much but you know if you're getting up in years obviously things don't uh, function as well as they did when you're 20 and uh-huh. so maybe you want a little extra um Uh, extra insurance there but honestly we've never used it it's just like in our pocket in case you know but um, we when we go to the doctor here it'll be anywhere from 30 to 60 dollars depending on what kind of doctor it is and that's a specialist you know we go to a dermatologist and get a head to toe checkup and it's 60 bucks and she speaks English because
1: her um, husband is uh, British or American I can't remember oh wow Okay, so now you've been to other countries and you you did mention that like in Bangkok you can, there's hospitals better than we've seen here, but um, other countries in general, would you say that uh, the experience that you've had or what you've heard about uh, healthcare systems in other foreign countries is equally good?
0: Yeah, and I would say the most common setup for countries, and what would probably make a whole lot of sense for the U.S. too, is they have a public plan that will cover the basics. And then if you want to skip the line or get something you know, done by a private doctor, then you pay a little more and you go to him or her. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, most people are pretty happy with that system. You know, like if right. you're a, if you're a, you know a government worker and you're going to the government hospital, you know, you can at least have a baby without you know spending three thousand um, dollars. But if you want to go see a specialist, or you know, you need to see a specialist, then you have to you know spend some money to. Go get that done, but then there are some countries where there's no charge for anything, and they don't even know how to handle that. You know, like um, <laughs> I've heard of people going to a doctor in Paris, for example, and they just said, you know, the person will say, "What do I owe you?" and they say, "What do you mean?" You know, there's no, they don't even have a way to bill you, and and it's that way in Argentina too, as far as cheap countries go. Um, you basically can be laid up in the hospital for a week and um they'll just wave goodbye to you when you leave and that's pretty much it (laughs) wow
1: wow so for people that are thinking about retiring abroad but they aren't like fully ready to commit it it, do you see that it's a a good plan or a viable plan to go six months at a time to a country and kind of go back and forth like the snowbird model do you see that down there
0: Yeah, it works pretty well. And yeah, you don't have to go full in. You can dip your toe in and go back and forth for a while and see how it goes. And yeah, I mean, Mexico in the winter is full of people coming from Michigan or Minnesota or Toronto and those places. And um, you can stay six months on a tourist visa here. So they make it pretty easy. A lot of people don't even bother to get residency. Um, Other countries, it's somewhere between three and six months, depending um, on their, their local laws. But a lot of them will at least let you stay for three months without you having to apply for residency. So uh, a lot of people do that and they never bother. But, you know, you can get residency and go back and forth. The laws are a little different in different countries. But um, in general, they don't make you stay there full time. You can still move around.
1: So do you have Mexican residency? How is that working for you?
0: I uh, have to go complete the process next week. But, yes, I, um, I have the the thing in my passport saying i'm a resident i just have to complete it here but um i've gone back and forth i was a resident for a while when my daughter was in school and then for the last two years we were just on tourist visas and it wasn't normally an issue because we're leaving the country you know before that six months is up and so it hasn't been an issue but you know this pandemic kind of worried us a little bit because a lot of people did get stuck and not just here all over the world people got stuck yeah and um, they were on a tourist visa and they didn't have a way to extend it and then they couldn't get a flight home and you know it was, or you had couples that were uh mixed nationality like one was american one was canadian you know something like that and they had a really hard time because you know some Countries wouldn't let Americans in, but they would let Canadians, and you couldn't move back to the U.S. together. You couldn't move to Canada together. So right. um, yeah, and so for us, it was just sort of a, a extra bit of safety thing. Let's get residency, and then if we do get stuck here again,
1: we won't have to worry about it. Gotcha. So have, you've got your your ear to the ground on on immigration stuff. So are have you heard in general our country's immigration departments are they being flexible given that this is the pandemic is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime weird anomaly and giving people a break on those kind of uh, restrictions
0: yeah most of them were being understanding but some of them were not um, but yeah i had some friends get stuck in places like bali and malaysia and they were able to stay longer but um you know, some, some didn't make it so easy here. You could, you could go to an office and get it extended. Um, but also Mexico's borders never closed. So technically you could fly out and back anyway, if you were, um, but you know, if you're Australian okay. or something, that's a different story. So right. they they had a tougher time. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows if something like this is ever going to happen again, hopefully not. But you know, if you're a resident, you've got some extra protection and Some countries that gives you a lot of perks too. in Panama and Ecuador, they kind of roll out the red carpet for you if you get residency and you get all kinds of discounts and tax breaks and you can import a car and things like that. But uh, they don't really do any of that in Mexico because they don't need to. So really, really all it gets you is you can tap into the healthcare system if you want to go to the public hospitals. but you still can't vote. You still can't uh, do a whole lot of things that uh, they intentionally don't want the foreigners to do.
1: Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, so a lot of people have the the travel bug. I love traveling. I, I can't wait until I'm fully retired and can spend more time overseas, but there are some people who really just shouldn't plan on living overseas. What what What's the kind of the profile of the person who just shouldn't even really consider living overseas in their retirement years? Yeah, I
0: have a chapter in there called, is this life right for you? <laughs> because I think that's really important to, it's an important question to answer before you go down this road and then realize you're going to be miserable. Um, right. so yeah, I mean, it does take an adventurous, adventurous spirit. Um, It helps if you're liberal and not a bigot. I mean, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, people that are open-minded and kind of um, view other cultures as uh, valid tend to have an easier time than those who are really... um, rah-rah nationalists, and think that everybody else is an idiot. Um, right. Those people that don't tend sense. to do very well. But the other part that has nothing to do with political leanings or anything else is how connected are you are you to your community, and how important is that? You know, some people have grown up their whole life in one place, and they've belonged to the same church, and you know, they've had these same friends that they've been with since they went to elementary school, and for somebody like that it's a lot tougher because they are really tied into that community and it's a part of their identity and maybe they owned a small business there and you know it's um you take that away from them and and there's kind of a shell left (laughs) and it's really hard for them to adjust to a new Mm -hmm. place so that could be part of it or if you've got 20 grandkids running around in your hometown you know it, it might be hard for you to move halfway across the world and only see them once or twice a year. So, uh, you know, we could stay connected like this on video calls and all that kind of thing. But, you know, technology doesn't replace um, being in person with people. So um, but having said that, I mean, this is not an all or nothing decision. Like I was saying, a lot of people have a foot in two different places and they just go back and forth. And, you know, depending on how far away you get, um, airfares are not that expensive. I mean, you can even get down to, Peru or Ecuador for less than $500 round trip. So, um, you know, if you watch for sales. (laughs) But uh, if you go further to the bottom of Argentina or you go to somewhere like Thailand, you could be looking at $1,000 every time. So that's a whole different story if you're trying to come back. And um, it's also harder to stay in touch if
1: you're in a 12-hour time difference, you know. (laughs) True, true. But for those, you know, who do have concerns like oh i I won't be able to afford to fly back if you're saving two or three thousand dollars a month on your day-to-day expenses that puts a lot of money into your potentially into your travel budget so that if you do need to come back and see the grandkids you can do it absolutely and
0: and, and there's also lots of travel hacking things you can do out there to you know get points but through your credit card spending and things like that so you can get a free flight now and then and um right that can help a lot too because the the mileage levels are are not very high for international flights you know it's a lot of times it's 20 or 30,000 miles one way which is not that much and so it's pretty easy to get there through through just the
1: sign up bonus a lot of times <laughs> right are you a, are you kind of a a points a points guy
0: yeah, I do. I, I put a lot of my regular bills on there that I'm paying off every month. So during this pandemic, I've racked up a lot of points. And so, yeah, I um, I think you're just kind of leaving money on the table if you don't have something like that. I mean, your credit card should be getting you something. If, if At the very least, let it get you cash back. But I, right. think, it's, I think you can get a lot more for your money uh, for your spending if you get some kind of Hotel card or airline card or something like that, and and there's a few out there from American Express and Chase uh, that will let you transfer points to different kinds of programs. So maybe you top off your hotel account one time, maybe you use it for a flight another time, and so um, yeah, there's lots of options out there.
1: Yeah, I um, before the, the the shutdown, I, I was a huge traveler and, and, and a big points acquirer and my goal was to have a million miles when I do retire and that acquisition has slowed down a little bit, even though I do I do, do like you, I put everything through the credit card, pay it off every month, but put everything through but that I possibly can to keep racking up those those points.
0: Yeah. And here's a little secret. If uh, you've got a kid in college, a lot of them, a lot of universities will let you pay with a credit card. And Seriously? So, uh, Without can, a penalty? Yeah. And uh, ours wow. did that. So we, we got enough for uh, <laughs> quite a bit on the, doing that. And I've got an uncle that put two kids through college with that. And he had enough to take the whole family to Hawaii for a couple of weeks. And that's what he did when wow. one of them graduated.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, I, I hadn't even thought of that. If, if Those big bills, if they'll let you without a penalty, that's that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're getting a penalty, then it doesn't make sense. I mean, right. for
1: instance, you can pay
0: your taxes with a credit card, but then you got to give them an extra 3% or something, so that doesn't uh-huh. really make
1: much sense. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining me on this. It was very cool of you to come on. Uh, full disclosure, I am reading his book, uh, and it's called... A uh, better life for half the price. Right now, I'm about halfway through it. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're at all thinking about moving abroad for your retirement, I, it, this is definitely a must-read. As his, t- his name is Tim Leffel. Leffel. Yes. Leffel. <laughs> okay. So Tim, where where can people learn more about you and uh, find your books and find your products and the like? Well, you can find the book at
0: CheapLivingAbroad.com. That's just sort of the book site. Um, you can also, you can get the paperback uh, almost anywhere that, you know, can order from Ingram, which is the largest distributor, but it's on Amazon. Um, there's an audio book on Amazon, but I do sell the ebook direct, so I can throw some other goodies in there for you and also stay in touch with you. Um, but... Uh, my regular blog that I've been running since 2003 is called um, The Cheapest Destinations Blog, and I put up a new post on there every week. Some of it's about travel, some of it's about uh, living abroad, and just tips and tricks for saving money on, uh, when you get out of the house. <laughs> and, uh, so those are the main ones. Um, if you just remember my name, timleffel.com is my portfolio site, and that links out to everything
1: else. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you joining me. And um, maybe uh, down the line, we could uh, have you back again to talk about specific other countries, because like I say, I'm in your book, I'm on Cambodia right now. And uh, for those of you listening, if you're interested in specific countries, he goes through uh, how many? How many different countries are? Nineteen of them. Okay, nineteen different countries talking about the cost of living, talking about transportation, healthcare, all that stuff. So um, there's a lot of uh, great information in there, and so maybe down the line we might have you back to uh, to talk about some specific countries besides Mexico. But in the meantime. Thank you very much for joining me. I really do appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, Matt. And uh, if I'm ever in Portland, uh, I'll buy you a good craft beer. You've got plenty to choose from there.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'll buy you I'll buy you a couple, too. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks All right. for having me.
0: Okay, thanks, Tim.
1: Okay, so I hope that gives you some good food for thought. I mean, think about it. The dude lives for well under $2,000 a month. He's living in a a temperate climate, a cool town where he can walk pretty much uh, everywhere. And if he needs to take a cab, it's a couple of bucks. Um, So this is the perfect example of a geographic plan B should you end up not having that huge nest egg that could afford you a a super great lifestyle here in the States. Um, I find... Just the idea of having that cool place to go, even if it was only half the year, um, I just find it completely fascinating, and I definitely plan to have Tim back because uh, he is a true expert in this stuff. Um, In the meantime, one source of information is a site called international living and you can just google international living i think it's international um if you get on their mailing list they're super super spammy um so be warned about that but they have all sorts of information about other countries and uh cheap places cheap alternative places to live um and all the information that goes with it you know uh, passport to immigration stuff health stuff and uh um, so there's kind of a wealth of knowledge there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm super psyched to have talked with Tim. And I hope you got a lot out of it. And uh, I will talk to you next time. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.